Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 7. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. The problem with Michael and David is that they were unequally yoked. They were completely unequally yoked. She doesn't have the same enthusiasm for God that David has. And therein lies a problem even if you are equally yoked. If your wife does not have the same kind of enthusiasm that you do about the word, you'll come home and you'll be all turned up about the word. And you, hey, honey, I learned this. I learned that. And I, saw, I saw this. And I saw that. And said, yeah, that's nice. Or vice versa. You guys got to get on the same page when it comes to the things of God. Somebody say amen. You got to get on the same page when it comes to the things of the word so that so that you have some fellowship and something in common when it comes to the word. You might have a thousand other things that are not in common, but your commonality must be found in this or you're not going to survive. And that was the problem. Sad day for Michael. Because verse 23, chapter 6, go ahead and look at it, tells us that she had no children all to, to, to the day of her death. This could mean that David put her aside and she was childless, or it could mean the Lord didn't allow her to have children. But I think we can learn critical people are often barren and unfruitful. Well, that brings us to chapter 7. Let me turn there myself. 2 Samuel chapter 7. And let's see how much of this we can get covered tonight. Second Samuel chapter seven, saints, look at verse one. If you're looking at verse one, say I'm looking at it. Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in the house and the Lord had given him rest from all of his enemies all around that the king said to Nathan, the prophet, look at verse two. See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside a tent of curtains. And then Nathan said to the king, go do all that is in your heart to do. Underline that. Go do all that's in your heart to do, for the Lord is with you. But it happened in verse 4 that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I bought the children of Israel up from Egypt even to this day but have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep to be ruler over my people Israel. And I've been... I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I've cut off all your enemies from before you, and I've made you a great name, like the name of great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for you 
for my people Israel, and I will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Man, tell that to some folk in the Middle East. And they shall move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. Also, the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. I don't want you to make me a house. I'm going to make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from my body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my namesake and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him, chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul whom I moved, removed from before you and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever according to all these words and according to all this vision. So Nathan spoke to David Saint, Stop right there. Give me your attention. I'm sure you all know the name Nathan, Nathan, the prophet. Uh, this is the same Nathan that um, went to David and um, when David was mixed up in that sin with Bathsheba and had Uriah killed on the front line of the battle in uh, chapter 12, we'll get there. But this is the same Nathan, that prophet. But here in chapter seven, Nathan just comes on the scene out of nowhere. And apparently after David took office, he put godly people in his cabinet. He put people who were filled with the spirit, people who would tell the truth. Now get the scene. David's palace is probably within earshot of the tabernacle. So every day, David would hear the music playing by the priest. He would see the smoke rising from the sacrifice. He could smell the incense from the brazen altar every day. And so David is alone in the palace. And when you're alone, stay with me, you're kind of left to your own thoughts. Keep in mind, this is the days before Dish TV. And these are the days before YouTube and the Internet and, and, and Time Warner to occupy your time and Facebook and all this stuff. So when you were alone, I'm going somewhere. When you were alone, you were alone in your thoughts, in your thought life. So David is alone, just he and his thoughts. He walks room to room in the palace and it occurred to David that he had a nice place, but God was in a tent. And David is thinking, that's not right. I'm sitting in this nice place and God is in a pop-up. Now, you know what that tells us? That tells us that David wants more for his God and he wants more with his God. That there's a hunger and a dissatisfaction in David. I said this before, that there should always be a holy dissatisfaction in your life. There should always be what I call a holy tension in your life. Is there? Is there like uh, I'm not really satisfied where I am in the Lord. I don't care how deep you think you are. You can go deeper still. There should be a holy tension, a holy dissatisfaction in every believer's life. 
You're not just satisfied where you are in Christ. You want more. I think of David who said in Psalm 17, 15, as for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. We should always want more for God and we should always want more from God. And again, I don't care how spiritual you are. There should always be a holy dissatisfaction in a healthy, healthy, holy dissatisfaction in our spiritual growth because that's what's going to keep you striving to know God better. That's what's going to keep you pushing. Are you listening? That's what's going to keep you wanting to know his word deeper. The day you think that you arrive spiritually, the day that you think you made the grade spiritually, the day you feel satisfied where you are, that's the day that you are spiritually dead. Fact. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, 14, memory verse, not that I already attained or I've already been made perfect, but I press on that I might lay hold for that which, which Christ has laid hold of me. Brethren, sistern, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Somebody read it with me. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to the things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul said. Think about that. David isn't satisfied and yet he's done a lot. At this point, he's expanded Israel from 6,000 square miles to 60,000 square miles. He's built walls around the city and put in place protection from the enemy. So David's done a lot, and yet David's at rest, but not at rest. Verse 2, David said, Nathan, this is not cool. I'm living in a mansion made of cedar, and God is dwelling in a tent. Nathan said in verse 3, go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Now, as I said, Nathan is a prophet, and he says to David, do what is in your heart. And yet, as I just read, God said, nope, that's not right. That's not what I want. Now, there are some people who say, are you listening? Look at me, please. There are some people who say that David, that Nathan was a false prophet. Because he said, go do all that is in your heart to do. And God said, nope, that's not what I want done. So they'll say that Nathan's a false prophet. We know from Deuteronomy, I won't read it all to you, but Deuteronomy 18, if you're interested, 18, 20 through 22, talks about a prophet who presumes to speak a word in God's name, which God has not commanded him to speak, or speaks in the name of another God, that prophet shall die. So if you speak a word of prophecy, that's Deuteronomy 18, 20 through 22. If you speak a word of prophecy and it does not come to pass, according to the scriptures, you ought to die. Note Nathan said, note the distinction. Nathan said, David, go do all that is in your heart to do. Nathan did not say in the name of the Lord, go do all that is in your heart to do. He did not say, David, God has spoken to me and told me to tell you, go do all that you have to do. He simply acknowledged something that David wanted to do. It's almost like saying, yeah, man, that sounds great. Good idea. I see your point. Something like that. Nathan didn't ask God. He just said, makes all the practical sense in the world. Go do it, bro. Simple as that. 
Nathan didn't say God said, go do what's in your heart to do. And that's why God doesn't even acknowledge what Nathan said, nor do we find any judgment on Nathan whatsoever. As a matter of fact, fast forward a couple of five chapters and God is mightily still using Nathan. So he's not prophesying here. Look at verse four. It was that it was that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan and said, verse five, Nate, go tell David, would you build a house for me to dwell in? Now, listen, first Chronicles chapter 17, verse three through four tells us a little bit more. It tells us, but it happened that night. That the word of God came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, you shall not build me a house to dwell in. You shall not. Verse 17 in this very chapter tells us, if you look at verse 17, according to all these words and according to all this vision. So Nathan spoke to David. So obviously God said something or made something more clear to Nathan that we're not told in the text exactly what it is. We do know from first Chronicles that God clearly said, do not build me a house. And then Nathan had a vision of some sort or some interaction with God in which God made it clear. I believe this is a big disappointment for David. Because if you've been with us, you know that we watched David coming to the throne for more than 10 years. He was running from Saul and trying to Saul was trying to kill him. And David, you know, was fighting battles with Ziklag at Ziklag and with the Philistines and constantly striving. And finally, after 70 years, he's taken the the city back from the the Philistines. He brings the Ark of the Covenant home where it's supposed to be. He gets home. His wife just knocks the wind right out of him. So now he wants to do something for God, nothing selfish. It's a good thing, a wonderful thing, a right thing. And God says, no. Now, what do we do when God says no? The million dollar question. What do we do when God says no? We'll come back to that. I'll answer it later. Look at verse six. Interesting. David says, God I want to build you a house. God said, David, I don't want you to build me a house. I haven't lived in a house since Egypt, but I have moved about in a tent and a tabernacle. God said, Nathan, you need to go correct the word you gave to David. Go tell David, I appreciate the fact that he wants me to be in a house, although I never asked him for that. And I never asked anyone for that. As a matter of fact, I moved about in a tent and a tabernacle. In other words, watch this. God is saying... I've always wanted to identify with my people and stay near them. I love that. I always want to identify with my people and I want to stay near them. That's awesome because that tells us a lot about God and mainly that he is approachable. Remember, I told you he is the approachable, sympathetic high priest. He's approachable and he wants to be near us. John, the gospel of John, chapter one, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. You know that word, that that verse, that word dwelt in the Greek is set up tent and the word of God. Are y'all hearing me? 
And the word of God set up tent among us. It carries the idea to appear on the stage of human history. God stepped out of eternity and wrapped himself in human flesh and set up tent in the form of a human body. And he became a man. Revelation chapter 21 verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. So God says to Nathan, I didn't ask for a house. I've moved about in a tent and a tabernacle since you've been in Egypt. God said in verse 7, look at it, wherever I've moved, have I ever spoke to anyone from any tribe about building me a cedar house? Are y'all picking this up? David wanted to do more for God than God wanted done for himself. And that's a great thing. We should all want to do more for God. We should all want more from God. In terms of holiness and righteousness, we should all be at the place of, God, I want to do more. I'm not satisfied. And isn't it true? We live in a culture where people look for God to do for them. We live in a culture where we look for everyone to do everything for us. People come to church wondering what this church has for me. People shop around church. Well, you know, we're looking for this because we have this situation and we need this in our church and we need that in our church. And and they have a checkoff list and nowhere on that checkoff list is sound Bible teaching. What's going on? There's no sound Bible teaching. Well, we need youth ministry because we've got some youth. And we need children's ministry because we got some children. And we need coffee because we can't function without coffee. What's going on? You need to find a church that's teaching the word of God. If you want coffee, get a cup before you come to church. We have a cafe. Don't get me wrong. I'm not hating on coffee. I don't drink it. I'm not hating on it. But you don't look for a church based on a cup of coffee. You don't shop around for a church like you do for a loaf of bread. You look for a church that's number one, teaching God's word. You don't even look for a church. You don't even look for a church based on good music. Don't get me wrong. Ain't nothing worse than a horrible praise band. (laughs) Hallelujah. Let the church say amen. Amen. <laughs> Y'all did just like me too. Amen. <laughs> I don't don't get me wrong. I, I I I I think we need to be skillful in everything that we do for the Lord. Don't don't get me wrong, but you don't look for a church based on that. You don't look you don't you don't go to a church because they have cool music or because they have cool anything. You choose a church, are they teaching God's word? Are they equipping the people of God? You don't choose a church based on their outreach efforts. That's a good thing. Who can Argue with that. That is a good thing. Outreach efforts are good. Mission work is good. But that's not why you choose a church. Because God has called people to do that. And the church is to equip you so that you can hear God's call 
to go and do that. It is not the church's primary function and responsibility to be an outreach ministry. I need to clear this up, Pastor Kevin. It is not the primary function of the church. It is not. The primary function of the church is to equip the body of Christ. My job is to teach you the word of God. My job is not to focus on missions. My job is to teach you the word of God. If I teach you the word of God, I trust the spirit of God will show you what your gifting is. And then you will then go and move out in that gifting. If that gifting is missions, then you'll go do that. But guess what? You'll go with something to say. Because you've been taught the word of God. If you haven't been taught the word of God, if you've been taught the word, you just you're just going. And what difference is that than doctors with borders? No problem with doctors with borders. Don't get me wrong. I no problem with none of these things. But only what you do for Christ will last. That's all I'm trying to tell you. Only what you do for Christ will last. The things that we do for the Lord. So we need to look for a church and be a culture of people that we don't go out shopping looking for what the church can give to me. Instead, we should come to the church or we come to God with God. I'm here to offer to you praise. I'm here to offer to you worship. I'm here to offer to you my tithe and my finances so that the kingdom of God can move forward. And we, we need to be we need to change our mindset because our mindset is like, gimme, gimme, gimme. That's the culture we live in. And I get it. We can't help it. You almost can't help it. You're inundated with it. Gimme, 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 gimme. Show me one place in the word where Jesus had that kind of mentality. You will not find it. Jesus said, blessed is he who gives. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus is a giver. Somebody say that's right. Jesus is a giver. He gives. He doesn't just take, take, take. We live in a culture of give me, give me, give me, satisfy me. We want to be satisfied, but we don't want to do anything for God and and, and to satisfy him. Not good. We should say, God, I'm not doing enough. I want to do more. God said, Nathan, go to David and tell him. Verse eight, look at it. I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep to be ruler over my people. And I've been with you wherever you've gone, whether you fought a lion or a tiger or a bear. I've been with you, David. God says, I've cut off all your enemies from before you, and I've made your name great like the great men on the earth. In God's book, David is one of the greatest men on the earth. David is among great men like Abraham and Isaac and Moses. And when you read the story of David's life, it's pretty amazing, isn't it? Think about it. There were thousands of shepherd boys out with their flock that day. And the only reason we know of David is because God took him from the sheepfold. If God had never sent prophet Sammy looking for king for a king and, and he chose David, David would have lived and died in, in obscurity. God said, I did that. Are you listening? I called you. I anointed you. 
I sent you. I gave you a great name. God took David from the pasture to the throne. God said, David, right now, I don't need a builder. I need a shepherd. Because look at verse 10. God said, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them, and they won't have to move again, nor shall wicked people oppress them. First of all, saints, note the I wills. I will appoint a place for my people. I will plant that they won't move again. Look at verse 11. I will cause you to rest from your enemies and the Lord will build you a house. The word house, you taking notes? The word house is used 15 times in three different ways in this chapter. The word house is used 15 times in three different ways in this chapter. House referring to David's palace, verse 1 and 2. House referring to the temples, 5, 7, 13 house referring to David's dynasty verse 11 13 16 18 29 you have been listening to salt and light a radio outreach ministry of pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel Cary located in Apex North Carolina join pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. Or you may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.